0: Today on Two C Vans,
1: and we got together on the porch of my apartment or the, the you know hotel room the day after the session, and we brainstormed starting a international working group on marine stock enhancement, and we sat at that meeting on the porch that had about eight people at it.
2: Hello, and welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory. I'm Haley Rutger.
0: And I'm Joe Nicholson.
2: And we're your podcast for marine science and education here at Moat in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, we're here with, today with Dr. Ken Lieber. Um, he leads our fisheries ecology and enhancement program and much more than that. Um, hey, Ken, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hey,
1: welcome, Ken. Um, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. I'm well, glad you accepted the invite, uh, Dr. Kenneth. Well, anytime I have a chance to talk about our research, uh, I welcome it. Sweet.
2: So your research is uh, much longer and deeper and cooler than I could possibly encapsulate. So first, start (laughs) by telling us how you got here. It's
1: it's kind of scaly.
2: (laughs) Kind of, yeah.
1: Well, I was contacted by the vice president of Moat, Rich Pierce, back in 1993 and asked to come and join uh, our fisheries group here at Moat and to lead our stock enhancement program. But we had just bought a a new townhouse in Hawaii, um, just had our second child, and I didn't think it was a good time to move. So I let that one go. And then in 96, after we were uh, getting a little concerned about the cost of living in Hawaii, having been there 11 years, having, and putting our kids in private school, we decided to give Mode a call. And I called Dr. Pierce in 95, and the rest is history. I got here in August of 96, and have been here working at Mode ever since and loving it.
0: Now, when you when you got here, that's when we had our aquaculture facility out here on City Island, correct?
1: It was in the basement of the Marine Mammal Building, which at that time was uh, brand new, the Marine Mammal Building was. Yep, yep. And yeah, we had uh, been attempting to grow snook for years, yeah, but uh, yeah. had a new... A group of aquaculturists come in, and things just started to take off just about the time I got here. So.
0: And that was, uh, Mr. Moat was still around. and Mr. Moat was, right?
1: and it was a pleasure. He would meet with us every week, and he'd go, well, boys, how's it going? what have we learned new about snook in the past week? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Does science move that quickly, <laughs> week by week?
0: <laughs> well... It had to in our case, uh, <laughs> if you knew Mr. Moat.
2: Mr. Moat, he was he was, uh, cracking the whip. No, he, uh, just for anybody who doesn't know, William R. Moat was a, a major benefactor for the lab, and that's how we got our name. Um, so snook was uh, popular even back then, and it's still popular today. Uh, why snook?
1: Well, snook was Mr. Moat's favorite fish. And, oh. and why snook for me? Well, that's the first reason. Mr. Mote's favorite fish. But um, also, it's a great model species for studying what we do, and it tends to stick around. And so it uh, makes life a little easier in tracking the uh, growth and survival of that fish and and, and studying it so bay, it's a great bay. game fish yeah it's, it's sought after by game fishermen It's among the top three game fish and, in Florida and Florida's the sport fishing capital of the world of the world yeah hmm. and it was uh,
0: it's, it's probably one of the tastiest fish I've ever I've ever eaten. I think they're good
1: to catch and release. Well, yeah, not Aunt that Joe. I don't like them, but I—I yeah, <laughs> eventually released them. <laughs> I think we should—we should keep. <laughs> oh his, my goodness! Just keep those babies alive. I'm yeah.
2: glad that Ken missed your little joke there.
0: Yeah,
1: you
2: know, uh. but, they,
0: but they weren't always a sought-after uh, uh, game fish. They were called a soap fish. That's at, right, at because time, right?
1: until people realized that you could skin these fish and and then cook them. Because um, if you they didn't skin them, tasted him, like soap because of just chemicals on the well, in the skin, in like, the skin
0: and the scales. Yeah, yeah. so if you didn't skin them, like it soap. tasted like soap. So Yummy. it was a soap fish, and nobody really wanted to catch or eat it. Yum. Yeah, until they found <laughs> out. Unless
2: you really like soap. Um, wait, when you said that snakes stick around, you're saying that they tend to remain local. They tend to stay within a certain area too.
1: Well, they do move from one bay system to another, but the majority of them have what we call high sight fidelity. They mm-hmm. tend to grow up in the streams and rivers and and um, eventually make their way out and reproduce in the passes, but then they'll go back into those streams and rivers that, that they grew up in uh, often. Really And that's one of the things we're trying to document quantitatively is, is how frequent is that, but... Um, so
0: where do they spawn
1: then? They spawn in the passes uh, the, between the barrier islands yeah. in this region.
0: So then why would they go back up into the streams?
1: Well, Snooker, and uh, it's in a unique position among the fishes that are uh, here in Sarasota. They are near the geographical extreme northern end Of their range. Oh really? And so you know that extends up to about Cedar Key on a regular basis. Mm. Um, In the warm winters they'll move up into the Panhandle and then will come a, a a hard winter freeze and it'll knock them back down to Cedar Key. Here right. in Sarasota, it's not much warmer than Cedar Key. They're looking for warmth. Yeah. And we have these underground rivers that run through the, the base of Florida. It's called karst topo- topography. topography. Yeah. yeah. And those tend to be about 70 degrees year-round. Yeah. Is that they, warm,
2: Joe? Is that, yeah. Do you call that warm? <laughs> not for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, for snook it is. For snook? For you snook get down to is. about 55, and they're they're, they're stressed. They're cold, and, yeah.
0: Well, and we've had some, uh, you know, huge mortalities
1: from winter freezes, haven't we? Yes, it's, and it knocks the population back for a while. But they they recover pretty well.
2: Yeah. So um, we wanted to talk to you about the idea of stock enhancement. We We raise fish for research, and one of the big research facets is to Um, try to find responsible and effective ways to release those fish back into the wild and benefit the population. Um, How did we at Moat get into stock enhancement and what does it mean exactly?
1: Well, stock enhancement means rearing uh, organisms in captivity for release into the wild to increase abundance. And it's, it's done with a whole range of animals. Even I saw a NOVA program on raising rhinoceroses to help protect endangered rhinoceroses in, in Africa and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, that term, stock enhancement, refers to stocking fishes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But uh, it's done all around the world. It can and, apply to any animal. Yeah, yeah. Crabs, shrimp, fish. Even sea cucumbers in China. Oh, they
2: stock enhance sea cucumbers? And
1: and so stock enhancement is kind of a general term that encompasses sea ranching, where animals are released uh, from hatcheries. They are intended to grow in the wild and then be harvested before they even reproduce. Um, that's That's the... Um, one end of the extreme, the other end is using hatchery animals for conservation, and helping to preserve endangered species. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the like great the rhinos work you were talking with, about. Well, with the rhinos and as well with um, salmon in mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. where the dams have made it um, nearly impossible, without human intervention, for them to continue to spawn because they spawn upstream. Yep.
2: So why can't uh, everyday person just raise fish and throw them in the water and say, buy fish, uh, the environment's better for it. What's wrong with that? Because <laughs> if,
1: if it's done that way, the environment won't be better for it. Right. It uh, has to be done very carefully. And and there's a, some issues with stock enhancement. It was first used back in this country in the 1880s by Spencer Baird, our first marine fish commissioner. Um, and he worked for an agency that later morphed into NOAA Fisheries. As we know, um, fisheries management of federal waters is conducted by NOAA Fisheries today. Mm-hmm. The the approach in the 1880s by S- Spencer Baird was to manage fisheries by stocking them, um, and the fishes were declining. They were were not able to rear marine fish beyond basically hatching them, and, and then they would release these two- or three-day-old yolk sac larvae oh, man. into the wild by the millions. And maybe then
2: other animals would be like, yum. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that was done up and down the eastern seaboard <laughs> with cod, haddock, pollock, flounder. And it was not until the 1950s that scientists enough enough managers and scientists were questioning what really is this doing that um, people put a a hold on it. and And they said, "Wait a minute, you know, we can't even track these animals. There's no way to tag them. How can we effectively manage the fisheries if we don't know what impact we're having?" Makes sense. And. But about um, 20 years later, the coated wire tag was developed to tag salmon in the Pacific Northwest. Um, that allowed scientists the first glimpse of of whether the fish that were being stalked were even surviving. And moreover, uh, enabled the salmon researchers to begin to look at issues like um, what's the effect of where we stock and when and how large these fish are. And that was the beginning of what I've termed a responsible approach to marine stock enhancement. And when I got involved in this field in 1988, uh, it was with marine fish, not salmon, which are anadromous fishes. They spawn in rivers, the the young salmon grow up in rivers, and then they migrate to sea and that's where they put on weight and grow to adults, and then they come back and spawn in the rivers. I, in 1988, began to work with marine fish that spawn in seawater, and uh, some of them grow up in rivers, but they all leave and go back to the sea to spawn. What fish was that? That was, well, we worked with a couple of fish in Hawaii, mullet, Gray mullet, striped mullet, yeah. it's also the called. striped it. racing mullet. And a um, hot inshore uh, subsistence fishery existed for this fish called Pacific Threadfin. Mm-hmm. The Hawaiians called them moi, which meant, which means king. Mm-hmm. And the kings used to raise mm-hmm. them in ancient Hawaiian fish ponds. Cool. They're type of herring? It's not. It's, it's not. more like, a, I mean, it looks a bit like a redfish. And and they get to be uh, you know two and a half feet long, and oh, and, my they, and yeah. they feed and live predominantly in the areas where the waves are pounding on the rocks, and they're eating um, in, feeding in that area.
2: Sounds like a difficult thing to catch.
1: It's uh, it's not the easiest fish <laughs> to catch, but. <laughs> but in Hawaii, uh, because you don't need necessarily a boat to go fishing for them, mm-hmm. you know, that, that allows a lot of people to to work on that or to, to feed on that fish and depend on that fish. And so for a variety of reasons, we, uh, we held a workshop and prioritized species for stock enhancement research. Mm-hmm. And mullet turned up number two. Moi, Pacific Threadfin, was the number one fish both because of its demand its um, state of depletion you know its status was was uh, it was fairly depleted and um, because it had been such a popular fish for so long and and there had been some aquaculture work done with that species but we hit the ground running with mullet used that as a test species m- meanwhile developed the technology to rear, Pacific threat fin and then started is, uh, research with them too
0: is that what uh, kind of you
1: know
0: uh, sparked the interest of moat to reach out to you to, you know
1: I had been asked by the world Aquaculture Society to begin to conduct special sessions at their annual meetings oh, okay. special symposia on stock enhancement using aquacultured fishes to um, stuck in in the wild Mm -hmm. and um that led to uh, a number of conferences where we were talking about what we were doing and people became aware that you could actually tag these baby marine fishes and um, we were talking about the research we were doing in Hawaii, which was novel, quite novel. It was some of the only work uh, that had been done along the lines of what salmon researchers had started to do in the 70s, had done a few studies looking at the survival of the fish released in different habitats at different times and different sizes. And so we were taking that same approach, which was really novel because People f- since the 1880s that were involved in stocking programs, and the salmon programs didn't shut down, they kept stocking. They would rear the fish and release them. Mm. And they would uh, gauge their success by how many were released. Mm. <laughs> and you know, that's akin to open, building a grocery store, hiring a staff, paying the money to buy all, all the goods, and then stock them on the shelves. And gauge your success by how much you can produce put on the and yeah, how much you had stocked on the shelves. How, how,
0: how much can we put on these shelves?
1: And so without any marketing research <coughs> to see if some things would sell better than others and what was selling at all, you know, how could you run an effective uh, grocery business? So that that same concept applies with with stocking organisms into the wild. If you don't monitor just beyond um, how many did we stock then how do you know if you're having any impact and moreover monitoring allows you if you couple that with asking some questions every time you stock the fish so you superimpose a adaptive management experiment over the release You say well let's try stocking in this habitat that so many natural fish used to live in before they were depleted, as opposed to where it's easy to back the truck down to you know to the ramp and, to and, the, and just, you know on the yeah. ramp and and stock the fish. And so did
0: so did they see you at one of these conferences and were like, hey, we got to get this Ken guy
1: over here and uh. that's exactly how I. Ended up, I think, my name circulating around at Moat because I we didn't, hadn't begun to publish Ken until '95, and they were contacting me in '93. Yeah, so. and it was the the scientific symposia that we were. And that's when
0: uh, Dr. At. Pierce reached out. Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
2: So, how's that idea of responsible stock enhancement? Has it gotten better over time? Like, how, have you found out what's actually responsible and what works?
1: You know that concept. Was uh, it, it? It's got my name on it, but it wasn't just m- myself and Lee Blankenship mm-hmm. that came up with the concept. It was at a one of these symposia called Aquaculture and Fisheries Interactions that I organized in for the World Aquaculture Society and the European Aquaculture Society's joint meeting in Torremolinos, Spain, in 1993. Mm-hmm. And after our session on aquaculture and fisheries interactions, which was all about stocking and and trying to increase abundance, um, I had invited a lot of of ecologists to that meeting not just people that rear fish and release them but people that were actually starting to study them in norway and in japan and, and in other areas of the u.s <laughs> and we got together on the porch of my apartment or the, the you know hotel room the day after the session and we brainstormed starting a wo- international working group on marine stock enhancement. And we said at that meeting on the porch that had about eight people at it, mm. <laughs> let's, let's uh, publish a platform paper you know, as part of this working group. And um, I called it, yeah, let's, let's publish it. Let's call it a careful approach to marine stock enhancement. And Stan Moberly, who had started um, Salmon Enhancement in Alaska, said, let's call it a responsible approach to marine stock. Oh, so there's where it came from. I went home and penned the beginnings of this paper and took about 10 of the concepts that we had been talking about in in the symposia and in these working group meetings at this first one. And... um, put them on paper and sent them to my colleague at Washington Department of Fisheries, Lee Blankenship, mm-hmm. and uh, he added uh, his special expertise on genetics and tagging to the, to the paper. And it turned out to be uh, like a, the first real recipe uh, for stocking and being able to do it well, and in a conservative fashion.
0: Well, that kind of built the blueprint for what everybody's using.
1: That did. And that was the initial paper in 1995. And then, as we began to talk about this paper at meetings all around the world, uh, some of uh, our colleagues were saying, well, wait a minute, you know, there's a couple of things missing here. And one of them, Kai Lorenzen, who um, is uh, one of the modern day Fisheries scientist who is very interested in stocking. He got interested working in third world countries on stocking uh, to create and and help sustain lake fisheries to feed people yeah, and yeah. and he he had a perspective that led us to not only revise the paper but invite him to be the William R and Lenore Mote Eminent Scholar Chair. Here at Moat Marine Lab, uh, in fisheries ecology and enhancement, uh, based so on a brilliant
2: guy, <laughs> an endowment
1: yes. that Mr. Moat had created. Another thing that attracted me to come to Moat Marine Lab was that was a brand new endowment then, yep. and we'd be able to have scholars come from around the world and work with us. So, Kai and I and Lee um, sat down together in my office here at Moat and and began to sketch out. You know the parts that were missing in the paper that had been developed, um, had been a, some of them like fishery modeling. None of us knew how to do. We were fish ecologists, and and Kai brought that, and also a very strong emphasis on working with stakeholders and getting them involved in the process, even in the planning stage. Which
0: was an essential part of yeah. any of this. Yeah.
1: So in 2010. We submitted for publication the revised version of the Responsible Approach. Same name, A Responsible Approach to Marine Stock Enhancement, but colon, update, an update. And this paper out of the, I've published probably 55 or so uh, publications in scientific journals. And they usually take a year to get published. And, you know, that that may be the shortest uh, Mm -hmm. time and um, this paper was received um, uh, at the journal, and was immediately reviewed by the editors and accepted two days later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, world record there! <laughs> wow! Apparently, by reviews said. in wow. Fishery Science.
2: Somebody needed was. that information
1: <laughs> wow. fast. Yeah. Well, they had been wanting. Uh, to do an update on it. Wanted us to submit. and.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, it, it sounds like this, uh, this concept and sort of framework for doing this stock enhancement responsibly, it sounds like it's been of interest and of use probably to people in lots of different areas. I mean, you've traveled to all sorts of different countries. Oh, Are yeah. you usually traveling for something to do with responsible stock enhancement? Like, where do you go and what do you do? Well,
1: I've been to 17 countries <laughs> for... W- professional
0: yeah professionally yeah Yeah.
1: professionally and it they have it's interesting that started in 1989 and um, you know at the time I was doing stock enhancement research and uh, and have concentrated on that ever since so literally every one of those trips was based on either an educational experience where um, I was going to a conference to talk about the research we were doing and learn from my colleagues about the latest and greatest in the research they were doing to advance this field. And so I would say, yeah, it's all been related to stock enhancement. And the majority of those, those visits was to Attend a conference and and help conduct a special session on marine stock enhancement, and and have people that I had helped recruit to come to those. Or uh, as as time went on, uh, some of those people began to actually help and eventually take over organizing those special sessions themselves and, and then um, recruit the rest of us that were working in the field. So um, it's spanned the globe from the Orient, China and Japan to um, Europe, Spain, France, um, Italy to Australia and New Zealand, all over Puerto Rico, <clears throat> Norway, Costa Rica. I can't
0: even imagine how many different associations yeah. you have been either chairman of or
1: president of. Or so
2: wait, <laughs> do you have a favorite or like a, a story from one of them?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think one of my favorites is Costa Rica. Uh, oh. It's hard to say it's 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 better no. than all the others, but it it's it different. ranks high. And the reason is um, that went beyond just a conference. We were asked to come into Costa Rica and work with a conservationist who had bought a lot of land on Golfo Dulce, Mm -hmm. which is the southernmost gulf on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. And he was an avid conservationist but moreover, sook fishermen.
0: <laughs> Another Mr. Moat. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and uh, he wanted to build a lake on this land that had been turned into a cow pasture. And um, the water that used to run through the, the property connected a couple rivers had long since been channelized, and and um, that connection was broken between those two rivers because that property was converted to, to raising cattle. And he put that uh, system sort of back in place, and in the middle of it, built a 50-acre lake wow. that he wanted to stock with black snook. And um, huh. the project all along was kind of leading towards a stock enhancement uh, focus, but he wanted to get it going quickly so we sampled black snook in the area and took a lot of juveniles and stocked those into that lake and moreover worked with a um, a geomorphologist uh, planner that helped restore rivers in the um, in in the west in the US Mm -hmm. and um, built these step pools that uh, the, the water coming into the lake would eventually leave the lake and it would ripple over uh, down a hill uh, passing over stones that uh, created little pools all along the way and wild snook would actually swim up those rocks hmm. and migrate into the lake so that once we had stocked them and, and had the lake fully stocked um, and those fish began to be fished out, they were replaced by wild juveniles that were looking to use the water on that property that used to be there and and to get into the upper freshwater areas to grow up. And they were grown up in the lake. And
0: so the genetics were going to be fantastic then.
1: Well, the genetics were completely natural because yeah. we weren't rearing the animals at all. Of course, when we... Um, Do any stocking nowadays, people know enough to work with wild spawners. There's very little um, in the marine world where fish that are second or third or fourth generation are actually stocked into the wild. Because you can can be stocking inbred fishes if you're not careful. You can mess it up. and moreover, you know, the, the, in managing the genetics, you want to stock fish that, live in, that come from parents that live in the area, that are adapted to the conditions in that area, as opposed to bringing them in from 100 or 200 miles away. It all depends on the, the breadth and, and range of the, the local stock, mm-hmm. the local spawning stock, and that can differ with different animals. But with snook, it could be quite... Uh, you know, local.
2: I should mention um, we're we're getting close to the end of our time, but I was gonna I should make a plug because we have a fisheries forum that meets here in Sarasota. Um, do you guys do monthly or bimonthly?
1: We do bimonthly, even we months. Get... It's usually the first or or sometimes the second Thursday of the month, and we have a um, web presence. It's a Facebook group, so yes. Facebook.com/sarasota bay forum.
0: You know what Perfect. Facebook is?
1: Show. <laughs> or it's Sarasota Fisheries. So not, Joe's not teasing you. Sure of course I do. You <laughs> know, Come on again. <laughs> how do you think my friends track all our trips? Oh, yes. there you go. Exactly.
2: I do have one more like fun question before we go. Uh, yeah. I heard you can play guitar pretty oh, well. Man. Joe, Joe's told me stories. So. Oh, man. <laughs> this
1: guy, he can play guitar. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up playing guitar and I even teach it today. Oh, I you mean, do? get a lot of of enjoyment out of that and it forces me to learn new stuff so
2: keeps the brain limber. yeah Yeah,
1: and his fingers yeah
2: and the fingers calloused
1: so that's one of my (laughs) favorite hobbies the other one is motorcycling i I was a motorcycle mechanic in another life in between college and starting grad school i worked uh as a mechanic
2: does motorcycle being a motorcycle mechanic have anything in common with fishery stock enhancement research? sure it does
1: <laughs> it gets you to learn adaptive management
0: Ooh, oh yes. See, there you go <laughs> <laughs> well it's been a real pleasure ken having you here today thank you very much for stopping in and talking well about thanks
1: a lot it's been and a thrill
0: we could we could talk for hours i we think could, yeah. um, so it might mean we have to have you back for another episode yeah but uh, our time has come to an end for this episode, and uh, really, I, once again, thank you very much for, for coming and sharing your, your extensive knowledge. Oh, well, thank you that, for
1: having me, and I'm glad to come back. You know, we got a lot of other things going on in our fisheries group. And I know you do.
2: Yeah, well, so with so that ha- teaser, so uh, we'll close it out. So uh, we'll see you all in two weeks for another episode of 2C Fans at Moat. This time, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, Joe and I have been busy with the red tide and now we're back to ya.